welcome back to the big program. Just before we bring in Mark Spector, let's welcome in our Monday morning co-host, Lorianne Munzer. Good morning, L.A. Good morning, KK. Did you enjoy Super Bowl Sunday? It was awesome, yeah. starting from the third quarter onwards. Starting from the third, yeah. And yeah. you watched the halftime show, obviously. Yeah. There. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Green Day all the way. Green Day's better yeah. than the Great Cup. J-Lo and Shakira. Love like, it. Yeah. Love yeah. it. Uh, all right, time now for uh, On the Mark, powered by Booster Juice. Visit a location today to refu- refuel, refresh, and re-energize or download their new Booster Juice Rewards app to earn order and enjoy as we check in with Mark Spector every day at 8 o'clock now, baby. Good morning, Spec. Back to 8 o'clock. Good to see y'all. What's going on? How You know, I saw you texting yesterday morning because you were worried about your flight. Did everything work out Okay. You got back yeah, in time? Just yeah, just typical fly-in day, that's all. <laughs> but the, actually, we got rescued by a bunch of uh, Oilers fans. Uh, our flight was really, really late, LA to Vancouver, but they had to hold the Edmonton flight because there was like 40 Oilers fans that were they were waiting for. So if it was just spec, they would have let that plane leave without me. But because there were so many fans coming <laughs> along, they had to hold the thing. So that was awesome. So you got what time did you get back then? I got in like at 3 or something. Oh, Perfect. Went to a Super Bowl party like everybody else. Did you? And how what was else are you going to do? Yeah, it was a good. You had a good. Uh, awesome. Good, yeah, and you you enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean it was a dreary game for three quarters. Let's face mm-hmm. it. There was no no one made a play. You know, I guess you could compliment the defenses for sure, but there wasn't. There was barely a play made for three quarters, and then it turned into a hell of a game and a great finish. So. Uh, I was kind of cheering for the Niners, but I'll tell you what, when they only kicked that field goal and they gave the ball to Holmes at the 25, I thought, nah, I don't like this much. He's pretty good at taking it down the field scoring, mm-hmm. and that's exactly what he did. And, Lorianne, you watched it too. You, you're mm-hmm. kind of the same feeling, as you just said, kind of once the second half got rolling. Yeah, it was it was great. Once, once we got into the third quarter, the fourth quarter was really exciting. Overtime mm-hmm. was like... Oh, wow. We were glued. Yeah. We were totally glued. Oh, cool. Yeah. All right, Spec. So you get back after, well, it's a long road trip for you because it was a, a three-gamer and you went to, to Baco. Uh, just sum this uh, little road trip that you had and uh, the Oilers with, uh, I guess, one win and two losses on it. Yeah, it's kind of funny, you know. Like, I, they outplayed Vegas and lost. They didn't play that great in Anaheim and won. And then the irony, of course, of L.A. is that, you know, no one's had a better new coach bump than the Edmonton <laughs> Oilers, right, when they hired Chris Knobloch. And they go into L.A. and there's a new coach behind the bench there. And guess what, right? The Kings were excellent yeah. all the way through the game. They got fantastic goaltending. And they, you know, there's a couple points in that game where when it was one nothing, 2 nothing, I thought if the Oilers could have scored, um, you know, a Perry chance here, a Hyman chance there. It could have turned that game, but Riddick shut the door, and before you know it, the Kings are getting the same new coach bump that yeah. the Oilers got. Edmonton's has lasted about 30-some games, though, so let's see if the Kings get as much out of theirs. Yeah, you could see Corey Perry, Speck, when he had that opportunity, just, just didn't elevate it on Riddick, and that changes the game if that goes in. Yeah, for sure. They, they, you know how it is. You're just a team waiting for something good to happen to kickstart things, and they had a good second period, Edmonton. And frankly, when you play that well in a period on the road, you got to get rewarded somehow. Mm-hmm. And that period ended, zero rewards, and LA took the game back in the third. So, you know, there's windows in games, right? There's windows in games where you got a chance to make some hay. And if you don't, you might not get the next window. And 
I think that's how that one went for Edmonton. Mm-hmm. Spec, what do you think um, Knobloch is is saying to to the team in terms of, you know, they were on the winning streak, they've lost a couple of games. What are they going to do to turn it around to come back again? You know, there's the new coach, and then okay, he's settling into his role. What is he telling the team now? Yeah. Well, I think you got to return to what won all those games. To me, the the, the the biggest factor in certainly in the win streak, I mean, would they go 14 games allowing two or less, something like, was it 16 allowing three or less? Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, they got to get back to being a, a, that defensive team. They'll win a ton of games if they're allowing two or less. I mean, Edmonton can score if they can get back to being that defensive team. That, that's where I would start if I'm coaching that team. They got to mix some lines up. They got a few things going on. I haven't loved the – you know, the, that third line with Fogel and Holloway, um, I haven't loved it mm-hmm. in the last couple of games, but they had got a little bit better in the second period in L.A. That would help if those guys got going. But to me, guys, they got to return to being the team that was really, really hard to score against. That's that's where their foundation has to go. Yeah, so what's that come to, Spec? Is it? Do you think this is just a little blip in the radar or – can bad habits creep in and, and continue to fester? And how about like kind of just nipping this in the bud, so to speak? Yeah, you kind of got to turn the, you know, let's face it. You win 16 in a row, you're what's going to happen? Yeah. You know, you're going to lose a couple. They lost two out of three. I mean, it's no, you know, there's no time to freak out here. You got to look at big picture, right? That means that you've won 17 out of 19, you know, so – you, I mean, I think if I'm if you're coaching this team, you just have to snap guys back into attention and say, look, let's not blow too much of this 16 game winning streak by losing five out of six here. You know, there's there's some losses coming. It's professional sports. The other teams are good too, but you do you got to get a home ice win because you're going back in the road. They get Detroit tomorrow, uh, and mm-hmm. you just you know it's up to the coach to create a freshness, right? It's up to the coach to. You know he's trying to switch his D pairs around. He's made some changes in his forward lines. He he, a team that got stale. He's trying to get them out of that, and that's called coaching your hockey team, right? Is it going to be right? Mm-hmm. Every button this guy's pushed so far has been the right one. So let's see how he does now. Yeah. So spec with um, Jack Campbell, you know, doing really well these days. How is he looking at coming into? the Oilers lineup. Do you see that coming? Do you see that? Maybe, maybe not. What's your perspective on that? Well, yeah, that's the sort of the tough thing for Jack Campbell is I think, you know, I think I said before he could have a nine ninety nine save percentage and they're not going to wave in order to bring him up. I mean, unless you want to travel around with three goalies, which no one wants to do, they'd have mm-hmm. to wave Calvin Picker to send him down. And there's no way they're doing that. There's absolutely no way Picker's going on waivers. We've watched goalies get picked up here by goaltending desperate clubs. So that's the hardest thing, I think, for Jack Campbell, hey, is knowing that no matter how well he plays down there, he's probably not coming up. So he needs to, you know, he's playing for for when he comes up in the playoffs as one of the Black Aces, the third goalie. He's playing so that maybe possibly some other NHL team sees him and says, says, you know what? Maybe we can make a deal. The Oilers are retained, and we'll take this guy on. He's playing for a job in the NHL, not necessarily playing for a job in Edmonton. Mm-hmm. Mark Spector on Sports 1440. Kevin Carey's Laurie Ann Munzer on a Monday morning. So, Spec, do you think 
tomorrow against Detroit mm-hmm. that Chris Knobloch goes back to the defense pairings that he had before this road trip? Well, he kind of started back that way, right? Mm-hmm, Looks like bit. he put Ekholm and Bouchard back together. Um, I don't know. You know, I don't think that I, I'm. I don't. I haven't minded their defensive zone coverage. I haven't minded their work defensively. Mm-hmm. I think Kulak's been good with CC, and Darnay's held his own next to Nurse. So I don't think you need to. I think he could stay with what he's got. Obviously, yeah. they like Bouchard and Ekholm together. Uh, Knobloch said that's. When they're behind in a game, that's the pair that creates the most offense for them. Yeah. So you need your offensive pair. I get all that. But no, what do you think? Well, I, I'll be honest. I, I would think that I, I kind of liked it the way it was before, to be honest with you. And I even though DeHarnay has – he deserved a look at this. He deserved a chance to, to do that. And I'm not saying that he played poorly. I just kind of think that there was something going and there was a little more – maybe there was more chemistry – between you know between CC and Nurse, then DeHarnay and Nurse. I'm not saying I don't think that one's right, one's wrong. I just felt that it it was clicking a little bit better. Is that is that safe to say? Well, it is because they played together the entire season. Yeah. So the whole point of changing the I think the point of changing it up was, look, we should do this mid season so that down the stretch, if someone gets hurt and we have to change everything up. We're a little more prepared for it. I think this is just forward thinking on the part of the coach. You can't have, you know, one injury in your top six and everybody's pair changes around. So I think that's what he's doing. Of course it's not as good, Kev, as it Mm -hmm. was, because these guys have played 45 games together. Yeah. But maybe if you're going to take this step, you got to follow it through and give these pairs five or six games together and see if it can work. Yeah. So, Spec, with uh, Evander Kane, he's uh, looking like he's on a bit of a roll here. Where do you think his performance is going to go? Well, he's a streaky guy. We've watched him now for a while here, right? So that's good. Like, you need somebody to start streaking here. Mm-hmm. He's I don't really get streaky players, but he is one. He scores a bunch for two weeks, and then it doesn't go in for a little while, then he scores a bunch more. So, uh, you know what? <laughs> I think the coach has to recognize when he's going like this, keep chucking him over the boards with good players because if it's going in for Vander Kane, he can get a bunch in a short time. So I've I've liked Vander Kane's game this year. I mean, he's back to being on pace for – he's a 30-goal player. Mm -hmm. And I know Oilers fans get sour when he goes five or six without a goal, but if you look big picture at his production – I think for what he's making and what he produces, he's a pretty good contract, don't you, Kev? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do. And uh, again, with that, there there is some chemistry between you know him and Perry on the same line because they have that ability to, uh, I guess, they're offering the same thing, but Kane's doing it at a higher speed. How's that sound in, in, in what Perry can do? Yeah. But uh, I think they offer kind of a, a similar aspect in the sense to maybe pull away some checks off of, of Leon as well. So uh, what do you make of tomorrow's uh, tilt with Detroit spec? Just a quick comment on the wings coming in here. And, you know, uh, their Kane is back as in Patrick. So uh, what do you make of the wings and, and Oilers tomorrow? Yeah, they're pretty good. Detroit's not bad. They're hanging in that wild card race out east, eh? Mm-hmm. Like they came back it's, on Vancouver on the weekend and beat them in overtime. Yeah, they're tied with and, tied uh, with. They're not. Yeah, tied with Toronto. Spec. Right. Yeah. Yeah, they're tied with Toronto. So they're like teams need motivation, right? 
uh, like you know it helps when you're in a fight and when every game matters when you're when you're Ottawa sure you play hard but then you go home even win lose or draw you look at the stands you go oh man we're 14 points out here yeah Detroit's different right Detroit's tied with the Leafs they're right in the thick of it every point counts so you don't get an easy game and this is a crappy game for Edmonton they would just did a three game road trip they get one game at home and they go on another three game road trip when you only get one home game, you've heard it before. It's kind of like a seven-game road trip. Mm-hmm. Evan is just another stop on the trip here. So, you know, th- this is a, not a comfortable game for the Oilers, playing one game at home and getting out again. And Detroit's going good. So yeah. and, be careful. And right? Saint, I'd say be careful. The other thing, after, and you mentioned it, Spec, just the one game at home, and then they're on the road, and it starts in St. Louis, and then it's in Dallas, and then in Arizona. And all of a sudden now – the Blues are coming on. The Blues are really making a push here for a wild yep. card spot. So this is going to be an interesting schedule. There's no question about it. Well, Speck, I'm glad yeah. you enjoyed the Edmonton's Super- had yeah. a hard time in St. Louis. Yeah. Edmonton doesn't win many in St. Louis. And in Dallas. Whether St. Louis is good or bad, yeah. they lo- they've been losing there. And in Dallas, too, Speck, it's always been tough down there. Yeah. And those are afternoon games. games coming up here. Yeah. yeah. Those are afternoon games. Uh, Saturday in Dallas and then uh, holiday Monday. Uh, President's Day in the States, but, uh, uh, and we're off, by the way, on next Monday. Duke, look at Duke. He's just having so. Uh, and Lorianne's happy. <laughs> we're off next Monday. I talked to the boss, Jason Gregory. He says, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a stat holiday for everybody. It's a hockey day. But Duke's probably got to work. Who knows? <laughs> Thanks, Beck. We'll see you at the rink, buddy. All right, folks. That's Mark Spector on the mark. Energized by Booster Juice. Get the boost you need at Booster Juice. That's the good thing about Mondays, Lorianne, with your time slot here. There's, you know, statutory holidays for the most part are on a Monday. They are. You know, so that's a big break for you. You get, you know, you're getting an extra day off. Totally. You know. Totally. And, and the, the other plus side is some of the big games are on Sundays. Some so. of the, yeah. Now, I mean, it would be would have been nice to have today off, Duke, after Super Bowl. What do you think, Duke? <laughs> I mean, that's the day. I think we'll maybe chat a little bit more about that coming up during a in or out in the oh, 9 o'clock hour. I think. How do we get President's Day and uh, Family Day, I guess, in Canada? We got to get our best men on this. Like. <laughs> to move it up to to be following Super Bowl Sunday. That's exactly what we need around here. <laughs> that would have been more, even more of a debacle on the weekend, Duke. After our Friday night uh, uh, experience into Saturday, into Sunday. That's all a guy needs is, and then be off Monday. Uh, when we come back, we'll have a little open time with uh, Lorianne Munzer. Get to some of your texts, one 1440 Kevin Carries, Lorianne Munzer on Sports 1440. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to the big program. 822 in Edmonton, Kevin Carries, Lorianne Munzer. So let's get back to the big Super Bowl, L.A. You had an enjoyable after, well, not just afternoon. I mean, it's like a. It's like an it's old like, day uh, It's like Costanza from uh, Seinfeld when he went in. Remember that episode with the the uh, the apartment? He was dating that woman that had the nice apartment oh. with all the furniture, and he goes in and because he's going to watch the Super Bowl, but the, he wanted the, the roommate was out, and he said, "Well, do you got any cushions? It's like a five hour yeah, game. Yeah, do, do you got any towels <laughs> for us to sit on? It's like it's a five hour a- game. <laughs> the velvet couch was the roommates. Yeah." But then the yeah, that guy, the, the, the proposition. Scott, Scott was Scott, the guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hmm. I'm not sure on the pronunciation, but I believe it's uh, Menage Trois. Oh yeah, yeah, Scott. Yeah. Um, so you had fun. It was good. You enjoyed it. Oh, it was amazing. I'm learning so much. Like mm-hmm. every game, every play. It was it. 
yeah, it was yeah. really interesting. Uh, but compared to the Grey Cup, you enjoyed obviously Green Day more than Usher. Yeah, in terms of the entertainment show, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, Usher was good. Now, did everyone get a really good look? Was that really Usher on the rollerblades, or was it a body double? Because he had a quick costume change. Was it? What do you think, Duke? I don't know. Do I think know? that was really Usher on the rollerblades. Yeah. Which I had a tweet about this too. Like, did he already know how to rollerblade, mm-hmm. or did he learn specifically for that? Because I'm granted, he looked good. He he did. That's what yeah. I mean. And like, because obviously the rest of the the backup yeah. dancers or whatever, they were really moving and shaking on the blades. Usher came out and kind of did the, like the quick spin and uh, move or two. Yeah. It was the rest of the backup dancers that were really impressive on the wheels. Um, yeah. But I, something tells me Usher maybe like has the secret skill of rollerblading. He kind of wanted to show it off a little bit. Right. He looked good. I I thought like that's why I, th- I thought he looked too good. That's why I'm, you're like, is that really him? And plus, there was a real quick costume change. Like he had a couple of those. Those right? were those were a quick quick touch uh, rollerblades, I think. <laughs> what are those, I, those ones you can get where it's just like the dial on the front instead yes. of like laces or something? Yeah. You know what that reminded me of was the running shoe roller skates. Did you ever yeah, have? A I pair never of did, shoe? but I know what you're talking yeah. about. I know what they you're were, talking about. They were wild. Yeah. Yeah. They were. Uh, I have to give my sincere apologies to Curtis, who texted in. And Eddie and I were talking about this, in, and Curtis said, well, you're not understanding the exact rule of how the overtime worked. And, and Curtis, you are 100% right. Uh, you are without uh, – so I, I apologize when I uh, said it on the air, just only in the sense that I didn't read the fact that it was – because it was Kansas City's – first possession so the clock would have run out and even if the score were still well at that point 22 19 if the clock runs out they still would have started another overtime period because it was kansas city's first possession of overtime so did i explain that right now Uh, yes 100 percent. so basically in football whether and like they put the still the time up on the clock because in the regular season it can end in a tie but but it doesn't really matter. It, well, it does in the sense because it's the initial possession. Their initial possession oh, has yeah. not ended. So this is and 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 um, Curtis sent in the, the 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 rule. Yeah, the exact the exact the wording score, of the rule. If the score is still tied at the end of an overtime period, which it wasn't, or if the second team's initial initial possession has not ended, the teams will play another overtime period. But you think about it like in this circumstance whether it was in the middle of the first quarter or the first overtime or the tar- tail end here, like the, if the Chiefs didn't score, it doesn't matter. It's like their first possession, they have to score because well, the Niners scored. Right. Yeah. But their their first possessions continuing after the overtime period. Yes. It goes back to my point saying the clock doesn't really matter. Like there's not really a purpose to even having time on the clock except for the play clock. Correct. Yeah. Like the play like you could just run the play clock every down unless and unless you went okay say both teams kick a field goal and then just pre- pretend this was the second possession for Casey then okay. the clock matters. Well no cuz it would still be tied and it would go no, to no. a second overtime anyway. No no say each team scores a field goal on their first possession. Yes. Okay. Now San Fran scores a field goal. So it's the same situation. Oh yeah, oh yeah. That's if they, if they traded that many possessions yeah. in the first quarter, hundred so percent. That's what I'm right. saying. Not yes. the initial possession. So the key word here is that it's the initial mm-hmm. possession. Yeah. No. Yes, that but is correct. Really appreciate that from Curtis. Thanks, Curtis. 
so Jordan goes, well, why even have the clock? Lee, Lee says, sorry, that was a very underwhelming halftime show. Uh, ironic you played Manic Monday when it was uh, written by the best Super Bowl performer, Prince. Did uh, you know that, L.A.? I didn't know it was written by him. I know Prince has written so many mm-hmm. number one hits. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Steele says, good explanation of the overtime. Thank you, Eddie. <laughs> uh, possession doesn't matter. It's the start of a new game. Uh, or it could go eight quarters. <laughs> Boys, the OT was a complete new game. It was the first quarter only that was ending from Hacksaw. So you you thought you thought the uh, usher was okay, LA? Okay? Yeah, it was okay. Yeah. I don't know. I just didn't find the energy. Ah, the energy like it was okay. Yeah. yeah. Not as good as Green Day. Mm-mm. Nope. So you're watching the game, and again, this is you're starting to get something. You know, like you say, you're learning. What did you learn yesterday? Oh, my goodness. Uh, The clock. The clock matters. Um, Just watching the play, it was interesting watching Mahone, how he went for the short short bursts, the short throws, uh, moving it down, uh, moving it down the field. Mm -hmm. Um, The kicker. Just how important Both kickers, that is. yeah. Both it, kickers had, like even um, Butker had that long field goal, and boy, it was uh, it barely it barely made it through the hands because it was low. It, it was line drive one. Yeah. Uh, three, three kicks or two kicks yesterday both beat the previous NFL record for Moody had, field goal. Moody sets the record. First kick of the game. And Butker breaks the record. Breaks it again, yeah. yeah. What did you, so what's cool. your, Duke, what did you, what was your big takeaway, I guess? That's a really good question because I I agree that the game was slow to start, but it was a lot uh, largely due to uh, strong defensive play. And what I actually really respected, we've we've kind of laid the boots to Kyle Shanahan a little bit already this morning. Um, you know, is is his Super Bowl history and whatnot. What I liked that when he came out in overtime, I did not agree with the decision to receive the ball. I think yeah. we'll touch on a little bit uh, more of that later as well, but not changing the game plan the most success they'd had all day was with their best player who is christian mccaffrey whether it be uh putting the ball in his hands in a handoff or as a short uh, a screen pass dump off play and like letting them work down the field because once again you're in no rush you can they ate seven and a half minutes a clock with that drive to get a field goal disappointing mm-hmm. it only ended in a field goal but the the idea that okay this like don't panic we don't all of a sudden have to start trying to air it out again like deep passes um because Brock Purdy was not like Brock Purdy played fine he wasn't the reason they lost but a couple times they did have guys open deep he he missed his men um Ayuk on one uh I believe it was uh Juwan Jennings or or Debo on another but like them sticking to the game plan that worked because that's what other teams did not do the Ravens they abandoned the run game that's their biggest strength they abandoned it they lose handily Mm -hmm. the Chiefs the Niners didn't go away from it and that they had their chances to to, like I said earlier kind of put their foot on the throats of the Chiefs and bury them after the interception um, getting you know forcing punts in in big situations so uh, I commend them on that but it just comes down to the fact that like Patrick Mahomes is the best player in the NFL. And yeah. if you have the ball in his hands with a chance to win, it doesn't really matter who his, uh, you know, uh, extra personnel are, his teammates around him. Yeah, having a guy like Travis Kelsey's nice, but he spread the ball around a ton. 
and, and use a lot of different weapons in making it happen for the Chiefs, which was, for the most part, until the second half of the game, a very underwhelming offensive performance. Beaumont Garrett text in one eight three three four zero one fourteen forty. Moody missing the extra point was the biggest play of the game. Huge difference in a four-point game and three-point game in terms of mindset kickers matter. Uh, CMC was hurt for sure after he got his leg bent back. That comes from Triple C in a truck. Um, so here's a question for you, Lorianne. In, in, in the mindset game that you do, I mean, San Fran's this close to winning the game. Probably in a lot of areas of the game are the better team yesterday. Mm-hmm. Could have easily won the game. How do you, you know... How do you respond? How do you get back? I mean, they've got a, a quarterback that only in his second year played a very solid game, gave his team a chance to win. But how do you respond? How do you get back next year and try to get back to the big game again? Well, I think one of the things it does is that it makes you hungrier. Um, I hate to say it, but it's true. We learn from our losses, our failures, but they're not really failures. They're experiences. And you go back to the drawing board. You go back, you reset. Obviously, you take a little bit of time off. That is absolutely important and vital to every athlete's success is when the season is done, take a break, and then reevaluate what worked, what didn't work, where are our strengths, where are our weaknesses, where can we improve? Are we truly playing as a team, the we versus I? I don't think I really saw a lot of individuality. I saw more of the team playing so how can we actually raise it up to a higher new level and bring that in and through and this is the time to do it I mean it it sucks that it's uh, a loss for the 49ers but only one team can win and that's sport some people say they never get over a loss like this like it's true teams I mean the you can talk to guys off the Oilers team in 2006 mm-hmm. it's still they think about it every day these guys are thinking about yesterday for the rest of their lives. But the, and question, the opportunity. Is, but the question: Are they replaying it and replaying it, replaying no, it? No, they're looking it? at it, Lorianne. They are looking at it like an opportunity lost. They had a chance to be world champions, and they missed out on it by a hair. Mm-hmm. Just a very, you know, it was a, a game that could have went either way. Absolutely. So, I mean, how do you not let that eat you alive? I think you got to dump it out of your head first off, to be honest, and you got to decide and pick and choose something to move on to and towards something that will light you up, something that will give you that. In sport, it's it's hard to explain. There's there's that feeling, and everybody is looking for that feeling. Whether it's sport, it's business, it's life, it's love, it's family, and you've got to figure out okay, what's the next thing? And it's not just to blow off what has gone on, but it's also to look at, okay, so what's coming up? Are you going to raise your level? Are you going to repeat the same thing again? Or are you going to take you to a new height, to a new level, work on something, figure out something, and work towards something new? All right, when we come back, Steve Bauer, an old, well, I guess, what would you call him? Um, The legend. The legend. You call him a legend, Steve Bauer, cyclist, but do you call him a... Uh, friend, uh, uh, what, I mean, like. A, well, there's there's two stories I'm going to okay. share, uh, good. and I don't even think he knows oh, about boy. them. Well, there's kind of three and stories. So Steve Bauer, Olympian. Uh, when did he win? Uh, 1984. 84. 84. Yeah. Yeah, and then he also did a second Olympic '96, I believe, in Atlanta. Wow. 
Yeah. He's been around for he's, well, ever. He's, yes. Forever. And he's in Europe right now. So whatever, it's probably like five o'clock there. So we were, we'll uh, contact Steve Bauer when we come back on the Kevin Carey Show with Lori and Munzer right after the, after the break. Stay with us. All right. Welcome back to the big program. We're just waiting on Steve Bauer to check in. So Lori Ann Munzer, you have a little story, a couple stories. You might as well... I do. Zip one a- out for Steve Bauer, who, again, won the Olympics in 84 in L.A. Silver medal. Silver, sorry. It came down to uh, a final sprint between him and Alexi Grewal. Okay. And that, I think, is where the seed got planted for me in cycling. Really? And, yeah, we didn't have TSN, ESPN, any of the sports networks back then. For us, it was three o'clock on a Sunday mm-hmm. afternoon with Wide World of Sports. Do you remember yes, that? Yes. Well, of course, yes. Of Wide, course. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. I happened to be home and was watching the Olympics. Steve was on and it was just, it was a nail biter because it was him and Alexi. Um, just, they took away, they they went away. It was a 190 kilometer road ride. 135 riders started, only 55 finished. Now, mm-hmm. I want to ask them why. Like, yeah. how come only so many finished? And those were my first memories of cycling. And then fast forward to 1993, Toronto would always have, and it was part of the Canadian Tire Sprint Series. We had a big race mm-hmm. um, just south of the legislature, uh, Queen's Park Criterium. It was a crazy kind of oval, but then there was a wicked left-hand turn. And he was there with his pro team Motorola. Phil Anderson was there. The whole team was there. And uh, I so wanted to go and talk to him and tell him that, you know, watching him on Wide World of Sports was where I got my start. But then I didn't know that it wasn't going to be road cycling that was where I was going to thrive. I ended mm-hmm. up moving into track. So really, really interesting just how the uh, time flies and, and where you cross paths, but unbeknownst sometimes to hmm. the to the athlete um text comes in from b uh got a question for you kevin and laurianne uh, why do north american sports call themselves world champions when only one country participated <laughs> and people like we we are calling the Champion. we are calling the kansas city chiefs world champs yep. but really only it's north american but it's yeah. It's just the way it is. Like World it Series, is. you call them World Series champs. You yep. call them the world champions. And That's NHL, you never, you don't call them the world. You call them the Stanley Cup champions. But right, uh, I right. uh, love the show. FOII uh, from B. Yeah, uh, we're still awaiting uh, Steve Bauer to, uh, and he's in Europe. So I believe he's got he's a Europe. he's got a, a wild line here, Duke, to to check in. Or how's it working? Yeah, he can he can just pop in uh, whenever he's uh, he got the link to join us via. Interweb and you texted him, Lorianne. I did. I let him know. Yeah, but Steve is nowhere to be found. So he was the reason that you, not the or one of the reasons that you got into cycling. It was, yeah. yeah. And it's just I remember being not far from High Park because I grew up in Toronto, moved to Montreal, back to Toronto, and then out here for velodrome training and racing. But it's just y- you watch the guys and the gals do the road racing and they're 100 kilometers 200 kilometers and it's phenomenal i mean you think about it uh steve started when he was 16 he was playing hockey but obviously that passion and love for for cycling just grew and grew and then something that i found was really interesting in only his third race just after he had started he won the 1975 Ontario Summer Games. So he was already off 
running, winning right from the mm-hmm. start. Then when he turned pro just after the 84 Olympics in Los Angeles, he won his second pro race with a bronze. And this was at the real world, the UCI, the Union mm-hmm. Cyclist International, is the world cycling governing body, the world championships in Barcelona, Spain. So definitely hooked and mm-hmm. super high performances. And he contested the Tour de France nine times. I think, yeah, he was a good 10 or 11, I think, too. For, was it nine or 10 or uh, I've got him down as 11. Competed in 11, uh, whatever. It's 10, let's call it that, whatever. 10 years. Uh, how, and I mean... That's and such that's a grueling, grueling. Ra- yeah. Yeah. So that would be an interesting topic to talk about. But what it, when you watched him in that, in the Tour de France, what did you think? Oh, my gosh. Um, 85, he wore the white jersey. So they have, in the Tour de France, they have a number of different jerseys, the yellow mm-hmm. jersey, the polka dot jersey. Um, the white jersey was best new young rider, which he, he wore the first time in 85 in his debut. In 88, he was fourth after winning uh, a number of stages or one stage there, and he spent five days in the leader's jersey. So, Mm -hmm. you know, as a Canadian, you don't see a lot of high performances. We're seeing more and more on the international scene, but he was the first Canadian ever in 1988 to win a stage Mm -hmm. in the Tour de France, and that is like, it's an incredible feat right there. How big is that? Like when you if, explain that and put it into perspective with other sports, other accomplishments. It would be like winning the Super Bowl for <laughs> yeah. 21 days, Yeah, you know, because it's accumulation of each stage. So imagine every day for 21 days, there's a winner. Um, the leader has the least amount of time. So the, the fastest and quickest that you can do the race in in that stage it gets accumulated to your overall general classification. That's the GC. Mm-hmm. That is then the leader who wears the yellow jersey. And, you know, there's all kinds of stages. These are like hilly stages. They are not flats. You're talking about Alpe d'Huez. You're like, to get up Alpe d'Huez, Kevin, just to give you an example, mm-hmm. I was there in, in 07. There's 22 switchbacks from the base of Alpe d'Huez to the top and it just goes on and on. You're talking 13% grade, 10% grade, just to get to the top. And that's where the finish, of course, is mm-hmm. always on the top of the hill. So it's just, it is grueling. It's back to back every day. And it's just, the world is literally watching to yeah. see, you know, how are you doing? Where are you? Um, some days are good. Some days are, are, are abysmal. Some of the crashes are unbelievable. How come there aren't more crashes? <laughs> oh, I think it's the high caliber, the yeah, level the, the, of... The skill of the driver. It is. It is. Yeah. You're going 50, 60, 70K down a hill. Um, you've got treacherous weather conditions. Sometimes there's snow when you get up to the top. Uh, rain conditions, temperature conditions. And you are literally riding elbow to elbow. And, mm-hmm. you know, like at the Olympics, 135 riders started. Only 55 finished. So, again, the elements, heat, rain, wind. Um, I remember Greg LeMond um, and Andy Hampston. They were like, you have your team along the course with, you know, food. You've got maybe clothes to put on a, a vest, a jacket. I remember stuffing newspaper in and underneath my jersey because we were almost frozen. But the newspaper cuts the wind 
from going through you. Mm-hmm. So you're just, you're, you're adjusting and pivoting on the fly. Any word, Duke, on Steve Bauer checking in? Not yet. Big wheels aren't rolling for Steve Bauer today, <laughs> are they? Maybe he's stuck with a flat. Well, getting to how many flats know, did you change on your bikes over the years? Oh my gosh, we actually used to have an event, and it was the fastest time changer for fixing a flat. Really? Yeah. And I think it was about under a minute. So, I mean, I remember fixing flats on crappy bikes that I had as a kid. Yeah. Is it the same with high performance bikes or no? What? It's way so, easier because oh, okay. you don't have any nuts. So you don't need a 15 mil wrench. Um, you literally have a quick release. It's like a skewer that is hmm. on or off. You always want to make sure it's on and tight and snug uh, before you start riding because having a wheel come yeah. off is really bad, but it just pops off. It comes off. You let the air out. You pop off the tire, take out the tube, throw it away, grab the new one. You can blow into it to preset it, put it in. Because you have to make sure you don't pinch the inner yes. tube well, as you're seating it. So you're you're putting in the... I'm, I'm patching the tube, Oh, God, no. no, no, no. That's we do Duke, that after. Same as you. You're patching, aren't you? I never had a bike. Oh, <laughs> I had one once, uh, then I uh, got it at a uh, grad auction in the spring at the yeah. local uh, school. All, not just high school, the whole school, because it's K-12. Um, but then I rode it over to help my dad push in an auger at the grain bins one day, lean yeah. it up against the side of the grain truck to go over and help. And then as I was getting the auger set up, <laughs> dad went to back the truck in underneath and uh, ran it over. So that was a pretty oh, short-lived man. experience. Oh. That was so the only not, bike I ever had. Not only a flat tire, he had a flat bike. A flat a bike, flat very bike. flat bike. So, okay, I think I'm correct in this saying. So you would take the tube out. Mm-hmm. And then blow the tube up. Yep, sort of, s- sort of blew it up. Blow it up. See where the hole is. That's no, no. That's what. Yeah. When you're patching. Yeah. See where the hole is. Then you take that patch and you got the glue and you put it on and let it sit for a little bit and Half hold an it. Hour. And, yep. Yeah. And then put it back inside the the tire. And then you'd be good to go. Yeah. Totally. There's a faster way. You fix the flat tire at home. But you always have two spares with you, just in mm. case. When you run out of this two spares, then it's time to pull out the patch kit. But now, Kevin, they have something even better. They have self-adhesive patches, so you don't even need the glue. Because usually, invariably, you use the glue once. The next time you need it, it's empty because mm. it's evaporated. Everyone's in, in this day and age, it's like, oh, I'm just getting a new bike. Never mind it. <laughs> hey, Duke, that's how it would be for you. Oh, I'm just getting a new bike. You'd give a... No, I, I'm a pretty handy guy. Yeah. I could I could whip it up. I just need I remember, the, yeah, there I was need a the little, proper materials. Yeah, there was a little kind of a special tool that you would push down so it, it would adhere properly. Push down? What do you just mean? Like, oh, the, like the, a, the tire levers. I, no. I like just, into the uh, hole, you mean? No, no, the patch on top of the on top of the hole. Oh, that's called your thumb and your index yeah, finger. there's a special tool. A quarter. It's a special tool. Well, there, there, was, yeah, d- the, there d- was like, the, yeah, about the size of a quarter that you, you would yeah. use to make sure that it was pressed, pressed down. Or that was KK double, double K tire repair shop back <laughs> in the day. <laughs> Kevin. Uh, besides the Super Bowl, the big story yesterday was Nick Taylor winning the WM Phoenix Open, the waste management. I mean... To have a Canadian win that event is massive. Yes. To see how he did it. And so, okay, for you, were you aware? Because this is going on right in the, I don't know, I guess the middle of the second quarter. So a lot of people are flicking back and forth, I'm sure. If you're a golf fan, you're probably flicking back and forth. But you were just... I was Super Bowl. Super Bowl. All Super the Bowl. way. 
Um, I would imagine there were a lot of Canadians would have been going back and forth, back and forth. I don't think they would have gone back and forth. I think they, they stayed would have on had, the golf. No, two setups. Yeah, one screen. If you golf. only have the one, but I don't know, Duke. What did you do? You went back and forth. So if I was at home, I would have had uh, the golf up on my laptop and the game on the TV. But I was over at a friend's house at the Super Bowl uh, mm-hmm. gathering, so I didn't have my laptop with me. I was just watching the golf on my phone, but obviously not nearly as attentively. Which, when you got two screens, that's always going to be the case. You can't. It's pretty well impossible to actually watch two things at once you have two things on you're only watching one of them um and with the kind of slow pace to start the game it lended itself to keeping closer tabs on the golf but and when you look at how his week started and just how brutal it was just brutal in phoenix like i mean to have frost delays and the weather up up until yesterday when then it was was obviously guys shedding layers and getting actually back down to the 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 t-shirt polos and stuff but like it was um, it was not a good time down there weather wise. But he shoots a sixty in the opening round, which is unheard of, you know. So to shoot sixty. Uh, the other thing, I don't know, you probably didn't have a chance, Lauren. But Duke, you watched on Saturday anything? Did you watch a little of the golf on on Saturday? Yeah, before like uh, pieces of it, obviously because okay. they were. I I thought I'll be honest, like hole sixteen and everything it went over the top for me too much. Too much. When well, we saw it on Sunday, some of the golfers getting yeah. into it with fans, which. Um, I'll, I'll be honest. I didn't like the fact that they put the two commentators down. So it was who Kisner and then, uh, the other guy, Smiley, mm-hmm. they put them down right on. Like, so the, the head guys would throw it to these guys on 16, Lorianne, mm-hmm. and they would basically do the play by play from down there. And they were, it was too much. Yeah. So I understand what the waste management Phoenix open is all about. I get, the, you know, I understand 16. I get the fact that everyone's there for a party. But to me, it was just, it was too much on Saturday. I think it calmed down a little bit yesterday. Okay. But Saturday was just, a, it was a bit too much. But to see Nick Taylor, and then, so he won the Canadian Open last year, and he had a, like, oh, I don't know, a 70-foot putt to win it last year. But for him to, his putter is just on fire. And this is going to be such a neat dynamic moving forward because Mike Weir is in charge of the President's Cup. He's like the the head coach, so he's got to pick guys from all over um, to play in the President's Cup. So, so many Canadians that are right there, like Corey Connors, a great player. Now, I mean, Nick, how many guys, how many Canadians can be on this team? There's so many guys that are worthy of it. So, it'll be interesting. Uh, well, we'll keep trying to get Steve Bauer. We still got a couple openings, I guess. Duke, we'll see. Uh, we'll try to shoot him off another text or call him, Lorianne, here yeah, in the sure. break, and maybe we can get him on at nine or ten or something like that. Also, efforting Aaron Slachinski this morning, who won the. Boston Pizza Cup yesterday in Hinton, beating Kevin Cooey by a score of 6-3. to three. So Aaron Slachinski is the Alberta rep for the Briar coming up next month in um, Regina. When we come back, we will have, hopefully, maybe we'll hook up with Steve Bauer. We've got Matt Devlin, Toronto Raptors play-by-play man, coming up at 9.20, plus uh, Shereen Williams from Pro Football Focus at 10.20 to kind of wrap up Super Bowl KC 25, 22 winners over San Fran. Before that, time now for a sports 1440 update brought to you by Tommy Guns, home of the ultimate grooming experience. Our hot towel shaves, awesome haircuts and treatments were designed for you. Book now at TommyGuns.com. Here is the Duke.